with that, um, we are going to read today's scripture together. And we are reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. So before we get started, would you just pray with me? Jesus, we just thank you so much for the gift that it is to gather here in this room as sons and daughters of the King. We thank you, God, that we get to start a new year reminded of the new mercies that you have for us. And Jesus, I just pray for every person in this room who is hungry for hope, hungry for your peace, and maybe even just wondering if you're real. God, I thank you for each person in this room, and I pray that your spirit would move in ways that break down spiritual apathy, God, that meet the needs, the deep heart needs of our people today. So spirit, would you move? And Jesus, would you be glorified? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you read this along with me? It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Yeah, go ahead and grab a seat, you guys. Great to see you. Isn't it awesome to have Lauren back, you guys, from maternity leave? Ah, it's fantastic. All right. <clears throat> well, in a few weeks, January 29th, we are going to begin our series on the book of Genesis, which has been on my dream board for like five years now. I'm so excited we get to do it finally. Um, it's going to be exegetical which means that we're going to go wherever the text leads us. It's going to be full of all of this sort of wild and hotly debated stories that I'm sure you're wondering about. We'll also focus on the design intention of God in the cosmos and for humanity. And it's going to focus also on God's just relentless pursuit of us as his people and then how we are now a part of that story. It is going to be really, really great. I cannot wait for it. It's called Origins. And again, been on my to-do list for years now. We're finally doing it, so I'm excited. But before we launch into Origins, we want to take just a few weeks to recenter on what Jesus' vision is and what the vision that he gave the church. So who are we and what are we supposed to be about? Now, in short, we are the family of God. We have been forgiven and accepted by him through the cross. And we're here, the reason why we're here is to make disciples or apprentices of Jesus, to, to actually become like, like he is. And we're here for the renewal of the world. In other words, if you dare, there is a compelling mission of global shalom that you can join and be a part of. It's fantastic. It's not my vision. It's his vision that's laid out for us in the scripture. And it doesn't change, and it has not changed since the first century. But we, we do have the job of planting that vision in the soil of our time and culture. And we do have the job also of cultivating that vision. So the question for us becomes like, how is God directing us, you and I, 
to live out the vision of Jesus in 2023. And if you were here last week, you may remember that we introed the year with this kind of new concept, this new idea that this is the year of undivided devotion to him, undivided devotion to him. So over the next couple of weeks, I just want to unfold for you what I believe God in the scriptures is calling us to. So the theologian Thomas Merton, he once said that your life is shaped by the end you live for. Your life is shaped by the end you live for. I love that. I love the clarity and the simplicity of that statement. In other words, your life is aiming at something. And eventually you're going to hit what you're aiming at. So if your ultimate aim in life is to, let's say, be wealthy, then your life is going to be shaped by a series of career moves and investment decisions to earn you more money. But your life is always also going to be filled with rituals, Rituals of work and sacrifices to Wall Street and all kinds of things. But if you follow Jesus, what you're aiming at is what I just said. It's the hopeful future that Jesus will return and one day make all things new. Just like the words in our lobby and the words that we sang a moment ago with Kylie and Ryan in Bend or on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Riverbend is not in the business of like Christian-themed events. (laughs) That's not what we're about. We are here, we're in the business of partnering with God for the renewal of the world. That's what we're up to. And anything less than that is just not worthy of all of our devotion. And most of you are probably already on some level agreeing with that, at least in part. The only hitch is with that idea is that uh, we as humans were somewhat unreliable. We're kind of unreliable. Our society is selling us all kinds of things for you to aim your life at. And from time to time, we buy into those things. We inhabit the stories of our culture, from the entertainment that we watch to the leading voices from secular culture who we're always podcasting or to social media or to whatever. We change our mind back and forth about what we should be aiming our life at. This is what some might call being disintegrated. We, on one hand, we have our core value, our core belief that Jesus is king, he's coming back and I want to follow him. But then we sort of live different values than the ones that we say we actually believe. So maybe I'll just sort of drink excessively or I'll do whatever I want for right now or I'll live for myself or maybe I'll pursue the American individualist dream for a bit or whatever. Now, whether we do this consciously or subconsciously, sort of change our mind back and forth about where we want to be aiming our life, the Bible actually has a few words for that. Uh, The words are hypocrisy and idolatry. It's aiming at something other than God. And if you're not careful, you'll actually hit it. So where you... Wherever you aim is what you'll eventually hit. Now, the prophet Elijah, he has a a really great way of sort of challenging us along these lines. He challenges us with a question. He says in 2 Kings 18, here's my paraphrase. He says, how long are you going to be divided between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, then follow him. But if someone or something else is God, then follow them. Make up your mind, make your decision, don't waffle back and forth. That's 2 Kings 18, which is very similar to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount who says, no one can serve two masters. Man, it feels like there's a parade going on upstairs with the kids right now. 
I'm into it. I, like, uh, maybe we should all go up there and see what they're up to. That sounds like fun. Whatever's happening up there sounds like fun. Anyways, Jesus said, where was I? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. That's what I would say. Uh, so, so why do you think this is the case then, that we are divided? We, we, we waffle or we, we change direction often, maybe sometimes back and forth. Why do you think we're divided? Well, I, I don't think it's that you wake up in the morning and decide that you're going to be really duplicitous today, right? Like you're not waking up and saying, you know what, I want to try and serve two masters. I'm going to be disintegrated with my life and it's going to be really miserable. That's not you. That's not who you are. And I don't think you want to live that way. We do this because on some level we have disordered loves. We long for many things all at the same time at different levels. So for example, I want to be healthy and I also want to eat a hamburger all at the same time, right? This is what it means to be human. We long for desire many different things sometimes at once. So whether I make a choice to eat healthy or whether I make a choice to eat a hamburger, it comes down to not just my discipline and my willpower, although that is certainly coming into play. My choice comes down to, I believe, the stories that we're living into. The story that we're living into, we're narrative people and we live into stories. So if I'm living into the story that if I eat healthy, I'll have the energy and the fitness to climb mountains and to do the things that I want to do and to play sports with my kids and to have longevity in my career and care well for my family or whatever, I will make that decision to live healthy. Or am I telling myself the story, you know what? Hamburgers taste amazing, and I can have one right now, right? What story or stories are we living into? Antoine de Saint-Exupéry once wrote this. He said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Come on, that's pretty good. I love that. Now, he never actually built a boat. He was a 20th century French poet, but I think he makes a good point nonetheless. What story are we living into? So Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, the scripture that Lauren just read for us, uh, is the story that God was teaching the Israelites to live into. That's what, that's what my, my premise or my contention for today is, is that in the scriptures, the Lord is teaching the Israelites to live into the story of this passage, which says again, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then he says that these commandments I give to you are to be on your hearts. In other words, he's saying, he goes on to explain, don't ever forget this story. Don't ever forget it. Write it down everywhere that you're going to look on a daily basis. Tell it to your kids. Remind your kids. Tell your kids again. Make sure that this is actually imprinted on your heart. It's dwelling richly within you. Remind yourself when you wake up. Remind yourself before you go to bed. Tattoo it on your forehead if that's going to help. Literally, that's what it says, kind of. Do not forget. This is the story that's worth living into. Hear, O people of God, love him with everything you have. Make this your aim. 
So the scripture that, we, that we're talking about here, this has became known um, in the family of Israel as the great Shema, Shema. Now the word Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, the first word and command in the scripture that we just read. And it means to listen with the intent to obey. So it's not just hearing sound waves, but it's hearing those sound waves with the intention to obey the one who's speaking, which is, of course, the Lord himself. Now, the Hebrew people would recite the Shema twice daily, once in the morning and once in the evening. So imagine you were like a Jewish kid or something like that, and before you were able to leave uh, the breakfast table in the morning, you would have to, in front of mom and dad, recite the great Shema, or the pay attention and obey God's voice in prayer kind of thing. Now, notice the command of the Shema. This is really super important. It was to ahava. That's the word in the Hebrew in this verse for love. To love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Now, ahava, as many of you probably know, is this other Hebrew word that suggests at least two things. The first thing that it suggests is a deep covenant relationship or bond like a marriage. The intimacy and the bond that one shares with their spouse in marriage, that's the idea behind Ahava. And the second thing that it suggests is fidelity. This suggests loyalty and faithfulness to covenant, again, like in a marriage. So for us, when we read the scriptures and we look at God's word and we read the commands of scripture, obedience to his word, it's not about legalism or moral performance or trying to earn some of God's love or favor or something like that. It's actually about our responding love and it's actually about active listening. That's what it is to hear God. It's not, again, moral performance. It's actually what it is, is it's to obey the voice of the Lord and to truly, truly love him. And so the people of Israel, they were living in that prayer twice daily, so I would imagine that if you were to ask a little Jewish kid what their life was aimed at, they would have an answer for that because they say it multiple times a day. Well, my life is aimed at wholehearted love and devotion to God. No duplicity, no idolatry, no hypocrisy, just pure devotion to Yahweh. That's the aim. That's what I'm going for. And if I keep going in that direction, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to arrive with him. Now, uh, Jesus, Jesus, by the way, in uh, Matthew 22, he was, you, many of you are probably familiar with this really famous debate that he had with the Pharisees. And in that debate, he, he says that the great Shema is the greatest command in scripture. And he quotes it again, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength. He says that is the greatest command. Now, if Jesus said that it's the greatest command, I think he's right. And I think for it's, it is true for us too. So not only is it true for us to like internalize the truth of that command, but it's to actually live in that same prayer like the Israelites lived in that prayer. Now for me and uh, for my family, for years, we've been wanting to practice this in one way or another. And we're not perfect, but we do live in a prayer very, very similar to the Shema. And this is just coming from a place for Grace and I and our kids that we don't want to just like align with the Christian doctrines and sets of beliefs and everything else. We don't just want that. We want to actually be Shema keepers. 
We want to be the kinds of people where God could look down on us and see that our hearts are fully and truly his. That we don't have duplicity or unfaithfulness, infidelity in our hearts towards him, but that we are wholly devoted to him. That's what we want for our kids and for ourselves. And we're far from perfect. But one of the ways that we internalize the wisdom of the scriptures, we live in these prayers. And we routinely uh, practice saying them together and say out loud together. And that's led to what we call our family goal, which I want to teach to you right now. The Rothrock family goal that we say often, repeat out loud together and talk about what it means. We, the Rothrocks, maybe you too, we want to love Jesus passionately and follow him faithfully in the power of the Spirit for the good of everyone else because he's coming back soon. That's what my life, hopefully, I pray, is aimed at. And that's where I'm heading, and that's what I want for my kids. And it all begins with a passionate love, wholehearted devotion for God, for Him. And my hope is that you will adopt this goal or some close variation of this goal for this year. And not only that you would adopt the goal, but that you would live in this goal, and it would become the story that you're living into. Because at the center of your devotion to God is real, genuine, passionate love for him. And this is what the scripture is clearly teaching through the Shema and many, many, many other places. And this is ultimately what I want for you because I know that you will have the most delight and enjoyment out of your life and you'll actually end up at a place that matters if you aim in this direction of wholehearted devotion to King Jesus. And I think that this is ultimately what would bring you the most amount of happiness and fulfillment in life, not to mention transcendent purpose and meaning. So King David, he was this dude who really kind of, he, he got this at least in some way. You might remember that he's referred to as the man after God's heart which there could be a lot of things on my tombstone. I would hope that one of those things could, something like that could be said of me. So King David, uh, there's this story in, in first King, or excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 6, where he had just finished worship one day at the tabernacle. And the scripture says that he was on his way home to go and bless his family. He's literally returning to, uh, to the palace where he lives in order to bless his family. But when he got home, before he could even do that, his wife, Michael, raked him over the coals. So we get a little bit of an insight to a marital argument, I guess you could say, in the scriptures. And in her, her mind, this is what she was saying. She was saying that he was going way too over the top. In his worship, he was dancing uh, kind of wildly and loudly leading the songs of praise, which she felt, his wife felt, was really unfitting for the king. But see, David knew what he was about, and he was willing to be foolish or look foolish or whatever. He wasn't going to be pulled off of what he was aiming at just because he was getting some pushback. And so this is what he said. He said, uh, this is his response actual live marital argument in the scriptures right here. And he says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else in the, his family to be appointed me when he appointed me ruler over God's people. This is like, a, there's a long story there. But then he says this, I will celebrate the Lord. I will become even more undignified than what you just saw. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes before God's people. 
So in other words, what is he getting at here? What is David saying? Well, David is essentially saying, this is what I think he's saying, is that he is determined to prioritize wholehearted worship to God over his reputation or his status or how he is perceived by the community. And I think that's exactly what counts because it demonstrates where his ultimate love lies, where his real fidelity is, where his real allegiance is, and who he most ultimately loves. And I think that it's time for the church in the West, particularly here in Central Oregon, because we are the God, God's people here, it is time for us to follow in that example. If you were here last week, you might remember that I think that the way that we are going as a church is the Lord wants to lead us into a culture of worship where we practice an undignified abandon to the goodness of God in our praise of him, which is to sort of shed the appearance of what other people think of me, and I'm just going to praise the Lord. You might think it's foolish. You might think I'm a little bit over the top, and um, okay, maybe you will, but I can live with that if it means that my whole heart is being devoted to him in praise. And there's more to that, so just you keep, keep listening because there's more to that. So despite Rene Descartes and the Enlightenment, you are not a thinking thing. You are what you love. So you're not going to think your way into aiming your life at Jesus. That's not how we work as humans. We don't intellectualize ourselves into our belief systems. We evoke, we long, we desire for things. At the core part of us is we long, we are what we love. So you're not going to think your way into aiming your life at Jesus, but you, as you uh, are, you, you can be stirred by a passion for him when you give your heart to him in worship. So these things happen in tandem. When you worship God with your whole heart, you are stirred and animated and captivated by that story that God is good. He rescued you. You are now alive to celebrate in victory forevermore, including the age to come. This is what becomes to inhabit you and you inhabit that story as you worship him in praise. So you, as you glorify the Lord and worship him in song and in the rest of life, this is what happens to you. You begin to be transformed into a person who is like David, who's more determined despite the pushback. He is more and more determined to stay aimed at this direction that leads him to the Lord Jesus. So this is why I think there is a change that's coming in the culture of worship here at Riverbend, but I hope much further than just our walls. And that is that we in our sort of sophisticated society can hear about the goodness of God and the things that he's done for us and the grace that he's shown us and the love that he's poured out for us on the cross and that we would respond with genuine, full-hearted worship and thank him with full-voiced praise. That's what I hope for in the church. I think that that should be a normal part of any community of faith. And when you do that, I believe that God actually stirs in you and transforms you. Here's how I think that I'm onto something. Somebody way smarter than me, a Christian philosopher named James K.A. Smith, wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And in it, he writes this. Worship works from top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give God our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. So worship is the arena 
in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. So in other words, this is a formative thing that we do when we worship. And it forms us into his image. I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I was hanging out with my buddy Jared Witherow. Jared, are you here? No, he's not here. Anyways, Jared um, is this rad human being. And we've been meeting together periodically to talk about just worship and prayer and how we want to offer more opportunities here for you to come throughout the week and pray and worship. And he was telling me this story about his early years. And he was reading this story about how when Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the last time, it's the triumphal entry, it's Palm Sunday, and there's all kinds of people lining the streets on the way to Jerusalem, and they're all shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest heaven. And they're essentially worshiping Jesus. And all the religious elites at the time who were in Jerusalem, they came out and they were very infuriated and infuriated particularly at Jesus. And so they go up to Jesus and they say, how could you possibly let these people shout praise to you? This is crazy. One, he told them to shut them up and get them to be quiet. And Jesus' response is beautiful. He, he looks around and he says, if, if these people were to be quiet, then the stones would cry out. In other words, all of the world would declare his glory. And so anyways, uh, Jared was telling me the story about how he first understood that and first responded to that. And then what he said to me, it'll stick with me forever because I absolutely love it. He's like, I decided right then and there, he's like a teenager, I decided right then and there, no lousy rock is ever going to take my place. Like I will voluntarily and with my own voice and with my own heart, I will give praise to God, which I absolutely am so inspired by that. Um, so that leads us to the question, what's your life aiming at? Or perhaps, who or what will you ultimately love? We've already sort of established that you're going to love someone or something ultimately. It's how we're wired as humans. That's what it means to be human. So we are oriented towards some vision of the good life. So you're going to love someone or something ultimately. You get to decide what that is. It could be yourself, right? We live in a, in a culture, a secular culture that promotes self-love as like that's the most important thing. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why I think that um, leads to narcissism and all kinds of unfortunate things. Uh, but it could also be someone else. You may choose to ultimately love some other human being who, by the way, cannot handle your worship. Did you know this? That human beings are not worthy of being worshipped, nor can we handle worship. How many, think about this for a second. How many marriages do you think in, in Western culture have been sort of sabotaged before they even started because the bride and groom went in with the wrong assumption that their spouse might just be the perfect person and the perfect lover. Um, I would argue, I would say there's probably a sizable proportion of people who enter into marriage in Western culture with that sort of paradigm. Now, listen, you are an incredible person. You really are. Like anyone, you're a catch. Like anyone who winds up married to you is gonna be very, very blessed. But you cannot handle someone's ultimate love or worship. The earth is not singing the praises of your glory right now, okay? That's not how this works. You, just like me, are, are, are fallible and uh, limited and have finite power and all kinds of things. So we are tempted to love other things, other people, um, ultimately, something else in our world that's less than God. Or you can choose to ultimately love him, love the Lord your God. And I really, really, really hope that you do. 
And I hope that you have more resolve in your heart this year to love him and aim your life at him and him alone. Because he is better, folks. He is better than you have ever imagined. The scriptures say it. Say it's true. Psalm 27 verse 13. This is, again, King David. He's actually at war. Uh, He could be losing his life any second now. And he says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, so good. So essentially he's saying two things. He's saying God is good and I am going to see it. Now, there's a lot in your life that's outside of your control. There's a lot that... um, that, that about your life, the circumstances in your life that you wish you could change, you can't change them, I can't change them. However, I can tell you from my personal experience but also from the scriptures that if you uh, choose to aim your life at Jesus and to hold as most true and the thing that you find to be the defining sort of aspect of your life and you're saying, you know what, this is where I want to end up is in loving relationship with Jesus and you're determined in your heart to trust that he is good and you start praying in the words of the Shema and, and, and prayers like it from the scripture, you are going to see God's goodness in your life. You will see God's goodness in your life. I've seen that this week, this very week. I've seen God change the trajectory of someone's family. I've seen God deliver someone from the powers of evil. I've seen God rebirth faith in people where they thought it was dead. I've seen that. I've seen that this week. I trust, I believe that we are going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is possible for you, not just me. It's possible for you. If you anchor yourself in this story about him and aim your life in that direction with no duplicity or idolatry. Ephesians 3 is another really awesome passage. It says he's going to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ask, think, or imagine. I love that. Another reason why um, it's a good idea for you to aim your life at him is because your worship will never eclipse his glory. Your worship will never eclipse its glory. What I mean by that is that if we were gathering on Sundays to celebrate me, it'd be such a short gathering. It'd be like five minutes and then we'd be like, okay, that's enough. He's an okay guy or whatever, but this is, this is about over, right? Because, because the truth is I'm, I, like, I'm not him. Like I'm not worthy of affection. I'm not worthy of glory. I'm not worthy of worship. I'm not worthy of any of that. But with God, he is. He is worthy of all of our worship and adoration and praise. He is good and he's always doing good. In him is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is what the scriptures reveal to us about our God. And when we aim our life in this direction and we're, when we're captivated by his story, I just truly believe that you begin to see him more and more throughout it all. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no thought has entered into the heart of man what God has in store for those who love him, love him. So this is the last reason that I'll give you today. There's probably many more, but the last reason I'll give you today why you should ultimately love God is because he has actually already made his mind up about you. And he's decided that you are his beloved. That's what he said. So when you wake up in the morning and you decide to make God your end, your ultimate aim, your ultimate love, you're not actually the one who's initiating the relationship. You're answering his love that he showed you on the cross. Romans 5.8 puts it like this. God demonstrated 
his own love towards us in that in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or in the language of 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Come on, y'all. That's good. Because he loved you, you are now capable of loving him back and having this hope-filled future. So this year is the year of undivided, wholehearted love and devotion to Jesus. And this is ultimately what I hope, genuinely hope and challenge you to aim your life at. And by that, I mean we just want to live into the story that Jesus gave us through a series of habits and actions, habits and actions. This is how we live into stories. We, 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 we have habits and then we take action. Now, um, to share that with you, I just want to share one final scripture, one final scripture. Um, maybe you're familiar with the book of Revelation at the end of the book. And this is a, a book where um, Jesus is unveiled as the king that he truly is. And in this book, he writes letters to seven churches that were um, at the time in the first century. And this is what he says to the people at Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, and I know your labor and your perseverance. Saying you're doing some things really well. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember where you've fallen. Repent. Do the deeds you did at first. And essentially, this is this tragic thing that happened with the church of Ephesus, I think has happened with many churches, maybe even some of us, is that we're getting some of the stuff right, but you're missing the heart of it. You're missing the heart. But notice Jesus, notice his gentleness and compassion. Sure, this is warning language, this is challenge language, this is corrective language, so it's sometimes hard for us to stomach, but notice his gentleness and notice the opportunity. He says, there's still hope. It's not too late. You can come back to me. Let's pick up where we left off. And this is what God does. As we have little moments of duplicity, as we have moments where we veer off and start aiming our lives at other things, he is so good to welcome us back to himself. And he's always there for us. So the invitation is for you to just to, to turn, to anchor yourself in the story of Jesus and then to turn towards him and we have some habits and we have some things that you can do to take action in order to do that. The first thing is God is clearly calling us to love him, love him for who he is. And one of the primary ways that we do that is through these rhythms of worship, corporate worship like we're doing today. It's not the whole thing, but it is a very important part of, of like tuning your heart to love after Jesus. So that's why we always carefully pick all of these songs and worship and everything else to, to turn your heart to him. So we're not just, you know, singing songs for the sake of singing songs. We're actually training our hearts to look at him and training our hearts to aim our lives at him. We also encourage a lot of personal worship. This is why at Riverbend at Night and other types of events here at Riverbend, we try and teach practices and things like that, like Lectio Divina, where you can daily, routinely, habitually worship him in your prayer closet or whatever. Also, we encourage the Sabbath day of rest. This is wisdom from the scripture, a whole 24-hour period where we worship and where we enjoy and rest, God, rest in God's presence. But another really fascinating part of love for God that the scriptures clearly teach is that um, when we love others, we're actually loving him. 
And so um, a lot of our love for God is actually directed outward at others. For example, um, the scriptures teach us repeatedly that we are to have love for one another. And by one another, I mean the brothers and sisters in the family of God. This is what Jesus says that all men will know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. Genuine care and concern for brother and sister. So what this means is in addition to your corporate worship and personal worship and your Sabbath day of rest, we also encourage you to be heavily devoted and committed to your community, to your Riverbend community, to, to not just think of yourself, but to care for and reach out to and, um, and, and yeah, serve the needs of others in your community. Also, um, the Lord teaches us to love our enemy. He says, you know, everyone can love the person that agrees with them, but the thing that marks Jesus' love is he loves even his enemies, and he's instructing and calling us to do the very same, which I understand is like a big ask, but Jesus offers his spirit to help. So who is it in your life that has been an enemy to you in one way, shape, or form? Maybe they've hurt you or wronged you, or maybe they're opposed to you in some way. How is God inviting you? How might God be instructing you to this week love them in word and in action? Also, uh, Jesus teaches us to have love for the outsider, people outside of the family of faith, not to have a sense of religious pride or, or whatever about people who are outside of the faith. We actually are called to care for and to love. So who are the people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, who are around you that God has brought into your life that he wants you to generously love? And what does that look like for you? These are all questions for your reflection. Two more. Love for the poor. Jesus never leaves this out. Jesus has a deep care for and concern, unbending compassion for the poor. And so if we are Jesus' people, and if we love him with our whole hearts, we are going to love the poor as well. Now, over the holiday, many, many, many of you step forward to give generously, particularly for the poor in our community and also in Brazil. And we're so grateful that you heard that rally cry and answered it. But the question becomes for 2023, who are the poor among us in our community or just in the community of Bend, Redmond, Central Oregon, and who is God asking you to generously support and to care for? And then finally, he calls us to love, for the, love those who are in crisis. Jesus never turns someone away who's in crisis. He always receives them and helps them practically with whatever their needs are. And again, I just think that this is what we need to be about as the people of Jesus. Is as we love him, we are actually turning our attention towards those who are hurting and who are in crisis in our community. Just, just after the 9 a.m. gathering, um, a few of us prayed with a family who is going through an insane uh, amount of evil right now. Just uh, the marriage, it would seem, is breaking apart, and it's just, it just seems really, really awful. And so as people are in crisis, the temptation is to want to step away from them, but the people of Jesus run towards people in crisis. That's what defines us as the people of Jesus. So here you go. This is what it might look like for you to aim your life at him and end up where you actually want to end up. So um, with that, you guys, we just want to create a little bit of space and time. I know I came at you with quite a few things for you to consider. Again, I asked a bunch of what I hope are big and challenging questions for you to wrestle through. I'm not going to tell you 
what I think, who, how I think you should love one another, how I think you should love your enemy. I think that's for you to wrestle out in the scriptures and with, uh, with, with the Lord himself. So I want to give you an opportunity as we close and respond in worship to sort of consider all of those things and make some decisions about how you're going to love. So the worship team is going to come up and do that. We also, I, I have kind of a big, I think, exciting family announcement for you. Uh, so we're going to get into that before we actually worship. So uh, would you guys please welcome uh, Brooke Moser, uh, my fellow pastor up here to the stage. Come on up here, Brooke. All right. Oh, man. Come on, dude. I was in the back. I'm sorry. I was taking a taking a stroll. I was taking my time. Awesome. So you guys, um, I've been over the last several years just so um, I don't know spoiled, blessed is probably the right word because I've gotten to work hand in hand with Brooke day in day out over the last several years. And not only is he a great coworker, but he's also one of my dearest friends in the whole world. And it's been amazing to see just the faithfulness of your leadership and how God has grown you over the last couple of years. You're clearly called by God as a minister of his gospel, and I just am so proud to be one of your friends and be in the company of you as you serve him. Uh, So the big kind of exciting news that's coming is that now God is calling Brooke and his wife Elizabeth and their whole family to move from being what they are right now, which is part-time with Riverbend, to now full-time with Intentional Parents International, which is the ministry that they lead with Phil and Diane Comer, which is kind of big, and quite honestly, it's a sad transition in some ways because we work together so closely, and it's been really, really awesome. But I'm also super excited for them, and I'm excited for Riverbend because there's lots of really amazing things happening now that you are going full-time to Intentional. So Yeah. Well, first of all, I love you too. I appreciate <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is, this is a tr- transition, not a goodbye. So uh, four years ago, uh, it was the first time I think you invited me out to come, and I was uh, preaching here. And I remember Elizabeth and I left. We were in the process of potentially planting a church, and we said, if we could just, like, do that in a different city or just take what's going on there and put it to wherever God was calling us, we would define that as a success. And I remember feeling at home, and so as we jumped on and kind of did these two roles of being part-time here and then helping lead a nonprofit, which was both, like, encouraging, fun, challenging, all that you would assume it is, um, this has always been home for us, and it's going to continue to be. This is where we get to be, and Elizabeth and I uh, couldn't be more excited about where Riverbend's going, and you'll probably see us more. I'm moving from, like, responsibilities to volunteers, so I'll be volunteering like you guys do in all the different various ways, and... Uh, we are really behind what's happening here and are so thankful for you and Grace and for the elders here. It's been a huge gift, and we've been honored to serve you these many years that we've been here. It's awesome. So it's a transition, but not, not a goodbye. Not, not a goodbye. going anywhere, which nope. is really, really awesome. And by the way, we've known that this transition would someday happen. We didn't yeah. know when it would happen, but we did know um, that it was probably going to happen at some point. And the elders yep. of Riverbend and also uh, the board of Intentional decided that, you know, 2023 was like the exact right time for us, strategic time for both yes. organizations to make this shift. And so we really do um, love Brooke. Sometimes transitions happen for negative reasons. This is not one of those situations. <laughs> we actually love each other probably more than when we first started. And yeah. I really, really genuinely believe in you as a mm-hmm. leader. And I'm super grateful that we've served together and even the partnership going forward, which um, I think we're going to talk about in a second here, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. going to be so great. Oh, it's, well, and there's a couple things that I want to say is now that we're moving into this world, um, a couple things that we're offering even here is uh, February 6th, we have the intentional film series we're going to be running here. So it's a six week, uh, course where, uh, Monday nights, if you're here, if you have kids or not, 
can come out, and it's the process of birth to launch of what it looks like to raise a passionate Jesus follower. And we're going to be running that for six weeks, and we have mom's retreats that are going to be happening, stuff for uh, fathers, stuff for marriage is all coming out this year. And that's really what Elizabeth and I uh, feel called to and are so excited about. Intentional in the last couple of years has really taken off to a level that really does require us to make a choice. Do we continue to pour in here or pour into what God's kind of leading us to do? And the great Shema is what you were sharing, yeah. sharing today. That is a foundational verse for us. And Elizabeth and I are excited to give our life to figuring out what you should say to your kids when you're walking along the road and when you're lying down and when you wake up and how to actually do that in your marriage and your family and to be intentional about all of your life with Jesus. And so we're honored to be able to give our life to that and then to have this really be a space that we get to practice that in, yeah. in real time. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I think makes this such a great thing for Riverbend, although challenging in its ways. I think it's great because we get to be a part of something that's like outside of the four walls of our church, intentional as grown in its influence and voice and stuff like that a lot over the last couple of years. And uh, it's all about, you know, a biblical, in a rapidly changing culture and climate and stuff like that, biblical yeah. hope and help and all of that for families and individuals as well. So we yeah. feel blessed, honored, really, that we get to be the home church and sort of hub for intentional here yeah. in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah. we get to sort of be a part of all of the future projects that you guys are doing, and we get to yes. hub you guys out of here. Brooke's still going to be teaching a fair amount here at Riverbend, and mm -hmm. Elizabeth, his wife, will still be leading worship and yep. all kinds of, of, of things. So there is a transition, um, but it's not a goodbye, which is so great. So yes. um, with that, you guys, we just want to pray over you and also you. respond in worship. So would you guys just stand with me? Um, we want to pray and give honor to Brooke. And also the whole Moser clan, which you guys are coming up right now, which is perfect. Um, you know, as they, as they come up here, um, again, we're transitioning to a time of response and worship. And um, I just, it's just right and good for us as uh, the, the, the people of Jesus to appreciate and value and honor the work that you guys have done in serving our church and serving our family. You know, pastoring is a is in many ways it's a sacrifice. It's lots of late nights and lots of really grueling people work. And you guys have done that so faithfully and so well with so much honor. And we've all gotten a bit more connected and closer to Jesus because of your ministry and because of your life. And so I just really want to encourage each of you that as you have a chance to see them in the next today, either today, next week, following week, just please make sure you tell them what they've meant to you and how they've shared the love of Jesus with you. I know I've been deeply, deeply impacted by your guys' life and message, and I'm so glad that we get to keep on doing that. So we are going to do things right here. We're going to bless you. Could the team please come up? That would be amazing. Oh, great. We have Kay and Britt and, and Lauren as well who are going to pray over the Moser family. And would the rest of you just like extend your hands as we pray blessing over them? So um, Kay is uh, part of our elder team with her husband, Greg, and Lauren, as you know, is our creative director. Brittany runs everything around here. It's like the Holy Spirit and then Brittany. Um, and, uh, and, and now what we want to do is just bless the Moser clan. God, I just thank you so much for this amazing family, for Brooke and Elizabeth and Duke and Scarlett for Birdie and Sloan. And we just want to say thank you, God, that we can see them and we can testify that you have been good to them. And they have seen and we have seen through them the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We can testify. We've seen your healing. We've seen your deliverance. We've seen your breakthrough. We've seen what you're doing deep within their hearts. And we are just so 
abundantly and just so grateful that you brought them to be a part of our little family here at Riverbend. And we pray that as they step into this next uh, moment of their life, this next iteration of their calling, we pray that you would anoint them by your Holy Spirit and that they would be empowered to just go forth into the work that you've called them to do. And God, we also thank you for what that means for us here, the, the home front, the family. Um, that we get to be a part of the successes and of the fruit of this ministry to bless their life in Jesus' name. Yeah, God, and we just pray a, a blessing over intentional. We thank you so much just for the partnership that we get to have as Riverbend um, and that we get to partner with this amazing organization led by a family that truly walks it out. God, um, there is a deep integrity that is within the Mosers and the Comers who lead this. And so we just thank you for that, God. And we just pray special blessing over Brooke and Elizabeth, Duke and Scarlett, Bertie and Sloan, and Phil and Diana as well as they dive fully into what you have for them with intentional. Lord, would you use this organization, this family as a catalyst for revival for the new generation that's to come, God. We believe for it and uh, we just thank you that you are using them in ways beyond their understanding, Lord. So Spirit, would you just anoint them, strengthen them for all that's ahead and thank you that we get to be a part of it with them as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, with that, yeah, make sure you give love to the Moser clan. Can we put it together for the Mosers? So, we love you, man. Love you. So, obviously, we love the Mosers. We worship Jesus. So, we're going to do that now. Um, and I just encourage you to just remain in this posture of responding um, to the things that God has spoken to you and how he might be directing you in the coming week to aim your life solely in the direction of Jesus.